listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to me and John. And this is me and there's John. How are you? You know, John, what I've noticed is when I'm trying to introduce you, I always want to give you a better introduction, but you always say "Hey" before I get a chance to. It's because I. I it's because I'm self. I'm self-deprecating. I don't want the good introduction. I don't want to be a big deal. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's All a very right, well, British. It's a very British thing, my friend. Yeah. Well, I think from now on, I'm just going to go like, "Welcome to the podcast," and um, it's me and John. You know, I'd, I'd rather you, you. What you should do is you should say like, "Hey, John, what what are you up to right now?" And then I'll be like, "I'm drinking." Nitro cold brew. Have you ever had nitro cold brew? And then you'll be like, yes or no. And then I'll be like, hey, if you haven't had it, you should really try it. So just jump right in. Don't don't yeah. say anything no. about you. <laughs> I just okay. wanted to talk about nitro cold brew because it's my latest favorite thing. Have you ever had it? No. So Starbucks sells it. And that's why you know I've how, never like, had it. I never go to Starbucks. Okay. But I mean, some other places have it too. But this is coffee that is... You know how soda is infused with uh, carbon dioxide? Yes. Uh, This is cold brew coffee that is infused with nitrogen in the exact same way, but infused with nitrogen. The bubbles go down instead of up. They are much smaller, so they don't feel like tingle. It feels almost like just a very, very smooth, velvety coffee, and that's why I like it. Um. Yes. Well, being somebody who doesn't drink coffee. You don't at all? No, I never. Have you not noticed that? You and my mother. My mother, literally. She always forgets. My entire life, she's like, Bart, would you like some coffee? And I was like, Mom, (laughs) I've never drunk coffee in my life. And she's like, oh, yeah, I always forget that. It's sort of of one of those things that that makes you think like, do you know me at all? (laughs) (laughs) I guess I don't. (laughs) Uh, Um, yeah no i never got started like most people start drinking coffee when they're in um college right right no i didn't get started early on on coffee it was really late for me but i do like it oh there you go all right so 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 here's the thing john Mm -hmm. i don't i don't have a whole lot of time today okay i can't be fooling around with all of this no. We got we got to cut to it. Like there's a couple of things we got to do. One is I feel like there's there's something we need to acknowledge, somebody that we need to thank, something is there something happening? Hmm. Or have I totally missed the boat on that? I, I, I there was something I thought like, oh, we should talk about that on the podcast. Well, the only thing that I can think of is you and I just released a Bonus that was episode. it. That's it. That's it. Oh, That's yeah. the thing. Okay, good. Okay. Because normally, sometimes in this time, we thank people who support the show. Mm-hmm. This week, instead of actually thanking people by shouting them out, we made a special podcast for people who support the show. Right. Do you want to tell people about that podcast? So this was about uh, documentaries. It was about documentary recommendations. So we have a list. I think it probably came to about 10 or 12 that both you and I really like and think that people should watch. And then uh, we lift space for people who like the podcast. 
uh, and support the podcast to leave their own recommendations. And a couple of people have. Someone was saying uh, Ken Burns. Uh, there are a couple of Ken Burns documentaries that people like. And then Daniel Jones was like, uh, you guys should write the list out so we can say. So I'm going to do that today. So I'll add add there. To, oh, to the so it's our, so it's already it. up, and people have already started checking it out. Yes. So it's okay. on Patreon. Go to Patreon.com/slash/HumanizeMe. And for like, not to make this like a premium because this is not freaking NPR. But if you did sponsor the podcast for a dollar a month, like a, it would be meaningful to us because it means that you're really into it. Um, I mean, you could do $5 a month. You could do any amount of a month, but like you could do it for as little as a dollar a month. And then mm-hmm. you would have access to among other things. And I don't know if people are going to understand John, that because you are a documentary filmmaker yourself, you actually had an angle on this. That was pretty interesting. We got some offbeat recommendations. I think it's a good episode. I think so too. I really liked uh, doing that. Cause I think, well, you know, it was very clear. Here's what I kind of got liked about it is you and I got into it and we started to realize we're both pretty passionate about documentaries. Yeah. <laughs> like we both really like them. Yeah. They're, and and, and so interesting in terms of I like them as a humanist because they do something for me as a humanist that, yeah, yeah. that is very important. Which they tell is, you about your world. They do. They do. And, and they often – they often speak to me or challenge me or help me to make ch- – I make changes on the basis of documentaries in a mm-hmm. way that I feel I feel richer emotionally on the basis of a lot of fictional movies. But I make, I make actual changes in my real life on the basis of documentaries. Gotcha. Yeah. No, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. So All I right. think that's a good little bonus episode. I do too. And that's a great segue into this week's question, which I- It sure is. I snuck a look at because since we're talking about how documentaries, you know, do stuff for us, go with the, go with this week's question because it's a good question okay. that I'm ready okay, for. Okay. So here's the question. It says, hey, Bart, you humanists seem to really love science. So I'm wondering, do you love science fiction too? If so, what do you love and why? The question is by a listener called Marianne. And Marianne? Thank you for that softball question. Like just <laughs> lobbed up there, just waiting to be smashed Dissected. into the outfield. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the softball, like the easy to answer. The answer is Marianne, drum roll, wait for it. Yes. I, I do love science You know, fiction. actually, this doesn't surprise me about you. Knowing you the way that I don't know you because I didn't know that you didn't drink coffee. But- the way I should know you. Uh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that you like sci-fi. And you and I have been, I don't know if you remember this, but w- during production for the documentary that you and your dad are in, the one that I did on you guys, we went to see uh, Interstellar. Do you remember that? I do indeed. And uh, what's funny, my friends listening about what, uh, about watch, you know, what it's like to watch a, a movie like Interstellar with Tony and Bart Campolo, I... I Correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys were kind of mocking it the whole way through. Like I remember, <laughs> I would always glance over, and you guys are like laughing about stuff. <laughs> Interstellar. <laughs> there were some plot holes that I think occurred to both of you while you were watching. Yes, I think there were some plot holes. <laughs> but, Not to say that you didn't enjoy the experience, <laughs> but I do love. Like this is the thing. I am embarrassed sometimes that I like science fiction. 
because oh, really? yeah, where I went to college, you know, there was a little bit of uh, that's a nerdy thing. Ah, that's a nerd thing. Now, not that being a nerd is bad. Actually, being a nerd is uh, an increasingly valued commodity in our society. It's gotten better and better, but. There is a comic con stereotype. I mm-hmm. also like sports sports movies. Remember the Titans, you know? I can go there. Right. I cry right. at that stuff. So I've never seen myself as a science fiction person, but but on on careful consideration, I am. And in fact, Marianne, I'm not I'll tell you what I love. I'll tell you, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm I'm a classic guy. You know, I'm reading 1984 and Brave New right. World. I mean, I Kurt Vonnegut, who I read mm-hmm. when I was a young Christian and didn't realize that Kurt Vonnegut was a humanist literary icon. I mean, he's one of the great humanists. Mm-hmm. He was humanist of the year for the American Humanist Association. I mean, his books are so in our space. You know what I was thinking of when you were talking about sci-fi and classic sci-fi, I was thinking about things like I read uh, Robert Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land. That's a great, did did you grok it? (laughs) I grokked it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I loved that stuff. I loved it. No, that's a fabulous book. Um, But, and so you, okay, so you read, you read Heinlein. Mm -hmm. Okay, Stranger in a Strange Land. Yeah. Did you ever read The War of the Worlds? Yes. Okay. So that's a killer. Um, Okay, here's a science fiction one that you wouldn't think of as science fiction. And I bet if you had been raised in this country, you would have read it when you were in junior high. You would have read Flowers for Algernon. Never read it. Okay. Do you know what it's about? No. It's written as a diary and it's written by this intellectually challenged person Mm -hmm. who in the beginning writes like with the voice of a five-year-old and he writes about how he's part of the science experiment and everybody's very nice to him and they let him play with this mouse named Algernon and it turns out that they, they do an experiment on Algernon that all of a sudden makes it a super intelligent mouse. Oh, wow. And then they do it on the kid and he becomes hugely brilliant and it's about what it's like. And then as he follows Algernon, he sees that Algernon then after having gained all this intelligence, loses it very quickly and then dies. And he knows this is going to happen to him. And so it's really a novel about intellectual mortality. Wow. Wow. Yes. And so it's like burns bright and then burns out. Exactly. And you, cr- and, and you know, and you know, junior high kids, we all cried at the end of it. It was, you mm. know, it was, the, it was the first experience I'd had with literature that made me, cr- made me cry. So what would you say is the sort of the, 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 the killer app, if you will, for sci-fi? Like what, it, what, what is good sci-fi and what does it do? You know, I'm, I'm not that... I, I, I'm, it's not a literary format. I, no, no literature. Can I, could I tell you how to write it or why it works or anything? Um, but whether it's the old stuff or, you know, it's funny. I was just thinking about a book that my friend Rich insisted that I read. He makes everybody read. It's called The Sparrow. Mm-hmm. 
by Mary Doria Russell. And, uh, you know, again, it, it's a winner of all these awards and everything. Um, I think the best science fiction works because once you have granted it the willing suspension of disbelief, mm-hmm. whether it's time travel or future world or there's no water. Um, the alternate universe or anything. Whatever it is. That, that within that universe, it doesn't break any more rules. Yes. That within that universe, the human relationships are human and or, – or the – cross species relationships are legitimate and therefore within the world there's a there's a symmetry and so a lot of times it gives you an angle it gives you a, 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 a it gives you access to people because of the extremity of the science fiction part of it it gives you access to a, a side of humanity that you don't normally get access to yeah yeah i think that's right and I, and i think once you can imagine any given world it, it gives you a way to explore philosophy in a new way and yes yes ideas and ethics in different ways and things like that it's interesting like if you think about a novel or a book like alive that was very popular 20 years ago about the rugby team that crashes in the desert or crashes mm. in the in the andes mountains and they're freezing and they end up you know eating the, each other eating each other when they're dead and some of them survive and they're all very close to each other it's not science fiction, but it kind of is because it transports you to another world in which all the rules are different than the rules in which you live. Right. And then you watch them do that. Well, I think that's what good science fiction does. Um, yes, I 100% agree. Or, or it's Robert Heinlein's Starship Troopers, which I just read. Oh, you did? And have you ever heard of this book? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of it. Of course, I haven't. I haven't read it. Did you know? That, and and you're probably are you aware that they made a movie of it? Yes. And I have never seen that movie, and I never will, because I I don't think that the movie was. Um, I my from what I've read, the movie doesn't really do what the book does. And I have to tell you, straight out of the gate, Starship Troopers is a hugely flawed novel. It is in many ways a novel in search of a story. (laughs) It has characters. Mm -hmm. Not much happens. There's a battle at the beginning, a battle at the end. Neither of them are decisive. In between, this young guy um, goes through basic training, Johnny Rico. And uh, he becomes a member of the mobile infantry of the Terran Federation, which is basically the global society of Earth in a a new world 700 years in the future where, you know, there are other planets and we're we're in relationship with all sorts of other other folks. Um, But it's it's not – there is not a – a compelling story. He doesn't fall in love with anybody. The, the, the women characters are very poorly drawn. Um, but, but it is a book that is, is incredibly controversial because the novel is a discussion of three major themes that I hardly ever think about. Okay. Militarism, 
Mm-hmm. Well, I, I shouldn't say militarism, fascism. I mean, it is often accused of being a fascist book because it raises up the idea that, vi- you, know, you, you ever heard that statement like, violence doesn't solve anything? Mm-hmm. In this book, the predominant philosophy being put forth by the characters that you're supposed to think are smart is that violence solves lots of things. <laughs> As a matter of fact, violence uh-huh. has solved most things throughout history. And that the idea that, sci- that, that, that violence doesn't solve anything is on, on the surface completely false. Like, you know, ask the, ask the South in the Civil War, did violence settle anything? Um, yes, right. kind of, kind of did. Right. So I'm interested because, I, I mean, uh, having read other Heinlein works, he explores very often opposite themes of that. You know, like um, very pacifist themes in some books. Yes. So this is interesting. He wrote this book in the fifties, in the aftermath of World War II, right. and he was worried about the direction of US society. And this book is a thinly veiled critique of US society in the 50s. And I would suggest that he would probably think it was even more relevant today because what he contends is that the society that falls before the society of Tehran emerges is in moral decline. And he he has a couple of teachers in the book, literally teachers that are teaching this young man their moral history. And they talk about what went wrong with Earth's society, the moral decline. And basically what he contends is, is that we focused a tremendous amount on human rights and very little on human responsibilities and duty. And so it's a re, it, it, this is a militaristic book in which military discipline is lauded in the society that it portrays. Really interesting. The society it portrays on earth, there are citizens and civilians. And civilians and citizens have all the same rights um, and, uh, and, and protections under the law, except for one. Voting rights only go to citizens. And the way you become a citizen is through military service. So only military veterans can are vote. able to vote. You can't yeah. vote while you're in the military because they're mm-hmm. like, that would be really bad because people would vote, um, you know, with their own self-interest at heart and stuff. But they go, you, you only can vote when you're a military veteran on the theory that you shouldn't be allowed to vote until you have demonstrated that you're capable of putting the interests of the society ahead of your own personal interests. Are you stunned by that thought? Yeah. Yeah, you should be. Because when you <laughs> when you think about it, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. Mm. Now, I'm not saying military service would be the only way to do that. There are lots of forms of service. But in a sense, why do we allow people to vote for what's good for the society when they haven't demonstrated that they're really a loyal member of the team? that they care about other people besides themselves. Why do we assume that if everybody votes their own self-interest, it'll end up leading to the best good? I mean, that sounds like the worst kind of economic theory that like greed, you know, if everybody pursues their self-interest, it'll be good for the whole. 
I don't believe that economically. I certainly don't believe that in terms of um, policy. Right. Or in terms of civic engagement. I want people that are actually that actually recognize that their own well-being is wrapped up in the well-being of the group and that they sometimes even have to sacrifice their own well-being for the well-being of the group because that's the greatest expression of their own desire to live and for life to go forward. Yeah. I mean, I've heard the idea before of course that voting should be restricted. You know, in some way. You know, some people say, "Oh, well, you know, if you're I've heard before, you know, some conservatives say, hey, if business owners should should vote, everybody else not. Or like, um, well, know, voting is restricted. Felons shouldn't be able to vote. Yeah. Yeah. And they can't. Right. And it used to be that only men who owned property could vote. Yes. Then it was just men, you know, but, but, but we, every society limits the franchise. And the question is, what is the most sensible or rational way to limit the franchise? And one thought is, maybe you should have to, I mean, you, you could still, maybe you should have to care about the society. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that doesn't mean that everybody would agree. People could still be stupid or smart or conservative or liberal um, more, I should say progressive, like somebody's like, we should try new things. And somebody's conservative, like we should be really careful about moving forward and changing things. Right. And you want, you want that tension, mm -hmm. but I want that tension among people that care about the group. Okay. So, so the, the, one of the themes of this also is it's a coming of age story. You know, it's classic, like the guy goes through military training and he becomes a man and he learns to care and all this stuff. But one of the really interesting things is, is that in the course of this training, there's a, there's a few places where he gets taught that morality, your sense of duty to the group, your sense of responsibility derives entirely from your biological will to survive and to propagate in life into the future, which of course is what I believe. Mm -hmm. I believe that morality is is grounded in our 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 original value, which is life. Mm -hmm. That the thing that all living things that that persist have in common is that they love life. Yeah, and they want it to move forward. Mm -hmm. And so Heinlein actually plays this out a little bit in this science fiction novel. This idea that 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 morality derives from that and that you can build a moral principle not on the basis of some kind of divine revelation it's a very secular novel um but rather that you you derive uh it from from your biological instincts yeah so so, so, so it's so, like so a, a sci-fi sci that um explores social and political themes and see, what's troubling to me about it is, it, like, I, again, the story is not deep. Like some, if you read Dune mm -hmm. by Frank Herbert, that the characters are fully drawn and they're, it's like Shakespearean in its scope and, and all that. This is not that. Mm -hmm. this, is a, this is a kind of a bunch of speeches held together by um, a very simple story. But very few books have I read that have gotten me snuck up on me. And when I closed them, I found myself thinking, <laughs> am I a fascist? <laughs> uh -huh. 
I mean, do I, I mean, I'm not a military guy at all. I've never been attracted to that stuff. And all of a sudden I'm going like, you know, this makes sense to me. A lot of this makes sense to me. Right. And so I think, especially right now, when you have a president and, and both on both sides of the aisle, I think there's a tremendous amount of people that are in public service right now that have not demonstrated that they're willing to put the group ahead of themselves, so that it, they're willing to sacrifice right. for the sake of others. I, I think that this idea is really worth playing with. So what would, I, I mean, if not military service, what would be a good way of demonstrating that you care about the group? I think being an educator uh, for, you know, I, I just, my, my son-in-law Tyler and my buddy Phil were over to the house for dinner last night and they both teach in really hardcore inner city schools where they are sacrificially serving and not making very much money. And I think like, you know, that's, you do that for five years, I'm going to say that you have earned the right to vote. I, I could imagine people working in healthcare, in certain parts of healthcare, same thing. Mm-hmm. Edu- I, you know, I think there are a lot of ways to serve our country. Right. You would want all of them, hypothetically, you'd want all of them to be considered as valuable. The, 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 in the Depression, there was the WPA. Mm-hmm. They built highways and roads, infrastructure projects. On some level, those people, we still, we still walk across those bridges. We still walk down those highways. We still enjoy those national parks. That was a form of national service. Yeah. And so I think you, I think you have to define what national service is. But I think one thing is, is that probably you know you're in national service when you're on the government payroll and you're not making very much. Do you, do you think this idea could, could – let's say you know in a hypothetical world, and of course that's what sci-fi is – it allows us to do that, right? It gives us permission. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, you know, you can play around with an idea like this. Do you think that the that the challenge of the idea would be, or the weakness of it, would be the potential for disenfranchising certain parts of society or certain demographics? I think, that, I think it's a lot like the healthcare debate we have going on in our country right now, where the difficulty is not necessarily laying out a really appealing alternative to the healthcare system we've got right now, which everybody agrees is broken. Mm-hmm. It's the transition. It's, it's, it's when you put a bunch of people out of business who work in insurance or right. in certain forms of healthcare, right. that the transition, there's always vested interests. And so it's very difficult to make these transitions. There's going to be winners and losers in the transition. And right. And at least temporarily yeah. people hate you and hate it. And it's bad because absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's the thing that's hard to sell politically. Yeah, and I think a lot of times these transitions happen in the aftermath of some kind of collapse or some kind of destruction, some kind of political crisis um, mm-hmm. that you almost need. Well, it's it's it, you you need a moment where people are willing to do anything. I mean, that's, and by the way, that is also how totalitarian states arise, is that you scare the hell out of everybody. I mean, if you have like 10 9-11 events on the same day, mm-hmm. 
Trump can say, listen, I'm taking away all your rights. I'm just going to take, I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep people safe. We're going to listen in on all your phone calls. We're going to, and people go, yeah, whatever you need to do, buddy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's how the Patriot Act got through. People are in, in the after, when people feel unsafe, they're willing to abrogate lots of their civil rights. Yeah. And so it's not necessarily an exciting a positive transition. But the point is, is that there are moments when people recognize that what, that they can't keep doing what they've been doing. And the idea that given a situation, I mean, it's funny at one point in Starship Troopers, one of the teachers talks about what happens when people concentrate on their rights so much that people actually believe that they are, um, what's the word, inalienable. He's like, you think your right to life is inalienable? Like go out on the ocean and be out there in the middle of a storm and you'll see just how much nature cares about your <laughs> inalienable right to life. Right. You know, that, right. That, 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 that we've become drunk with our rights. And we have forgotten that life is a very difficult business and that people have to make sacrifices in, in order to ensure the safety of them and their families. And so, yeah. I, I, so I do think that, you know, the idea of di- that you would disenfranchise people who hadn't made certain sacrifices, I'm sure it would be hugely controversial. Um, and, right. and, you'd, and it would almost, it would almost, ha- it would almost require a military coup to make it happen. And that doesn't sound good to me. No. But it's interesting that you have that conflict. And I think that is what good sci-fi does is it it creates like um, an opening in your mind for ideas that would never have occurred to you otherwise. Like you just would never have even thought of it. The idea that you could make fascism, military fascism seem appealing to me Right, in any way, under any circumstance. But you can do that. Like he tells a story in which it works and it yep. works better than, and, and, and of course the enemy in Starship Trooper is not another human society. It's a society of insects that are controlled by a central brain. Like they're like a, a, a hive-like thing, which was his sort of play on Soviet communism. You know, all these worker bees that are willing to sacrifice mm-hmm. themselves for the group. And, and, and you would think like, well, he would respect that like these, and he doesn't respect it at all. He, they're, 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 they're control. There's no choice involved in their sacrifice there. And so it's the idea is that he really believes in sacrificial all for the, you know, all for the group, one for all, but it has mm-hmm. to be voluntary. It has to be free. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just fabulously, I, I, I'm I'm very seldom going to recommend a novel that I think is a controversial, b probably wrong, and c poorly written. <laughs> but there you have it. There you have there it. There you I have think, it. I think I think it's really it's really and and, and it'll take you it'll, you can read it in in two days. It, it's not going to take you long. Love it. All right. So That's so good. she. That's good. Do I sound like a man who loves science fiction? Yeah. Yeah. No. I think you, that you, that you do. I was just thinking. You know. I've probably watched more science fiction than I've read. And I think about movies like Ex Machina. Yes. And 
the movie the Her with um Yes. Was that Joaquin Phoenix? It was. Yeah, yeah. Uh the movie Her. I and those the movies great, and the mov- greatest movie of all time, the most significant and important movie of our time. Interstellar. <sighs> The Matrix, man. Oh, the Matrix. The Matrix. That is the movie that hu- that that we, especially we post Christians. Well, Christians claim it too. I know, but anyone who has been pulled out of a system that kept you from really taking responsibility for your life, the the Matrix is just brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, the, yeah, the best of them really make you think about things that there aren't stories in a non-sci-fi context that can cause the same reaction. That's right. All right, that's yeah. it. I got to go. I got to go. All right, man. I got to think. Thanks so much. That was good. Okay, I I hope that people like this episode. Um, and if you don't, you should really let us know that we went we went up the daisy trail. Okay, this, yeah. is, this is one of those times not to sit and suffer quietly and humanize me land. This is one of those times to say, Get it together, guys. And actually, you know what this is really a time for? If you didn't like this episode, you know what you should do? You should call the question line and send us a better question. Right. Right. That's a good That's a good, uh, a good. plug. You want me to give the number? Yeah. Give the, do you have it? Well, it's said at the end of each episode, but I'll say it right now. 424-291-2092. This, this is your way to achieve podcast immortality. Come on, send us some questions. All right. Thanks, Bart. Love to you all. Love to you, John. I'll talk to you later. For more on Bart, go to bartcampolo.org. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it every month and get extra content for it. Go to patreon.com slash humanize me. Our patrons do make the show happen. Follow us at Humanize Me Pod on Twitter and Humanize Me Podcast on Instagram. You can also join other listeners on our private Facebook group. Just search Humanize Me on Facebook. To ask your own question on the show, leave it as a voicemail at 424 291 2092. That's 424 291 2092. And finally, please review us on iTunes. It really helps. Catch you next week. Humanize Me is a production of Jux Media. You could be larger than life, bigger than the world, living out the hopes and dreams of every boy and every girl. You could fly higher than the sky, shine brighter than the stars. You can live all you ever wanted. Oh, cool.